Welcome to the Coventry Vineyard Podcast. Wherever and whenever you're listening, we hope you're blessed by this message. If you want to find out more about our church or speak with someone about Jesus, head to coventryvineyard.org. Right, well, I'm going to try and go through or the next step in the series on uh, the King and his Kingdom and looking really at the whole passage on what it means to be people of mercy. And this follows on from Nick's session last week. I don't know if you've seen Nick's video, but I would encourage you to watch that after you've seen this, if you haven't seen it already, because Nick talked a lot about sin and particularly dealing with sin in the church. And that really struck me, and it relates to this morning, because as I thought about it, then I was thinking, actually, what was sin? And, you know, it can be described in many different ways, but I think the best overall description I have of sin is just that of brokenness. And if you see sin as brokenness, and sin can be expressed in many ways, as we looked at last week, you know, it can be expressed by anger, can be expressed by hatred or sadness, uh, but particularly in relation to one another, sin is expressed by division. Sin is sin actually separates us. And, and then if we think of sin like that, well, then what is the opposite? And I thought, well, the opposite of sin is holiness. And if we see sin as brokenness, then we can see holiness as completeness. And therefore, completeness is marked by things like peace and love, and joy, and unity, being one together. And, and I then thought, well, okay, where do we f- feel the expression of that, or how do we express that? And actually, whether it's sin or holiness, we express that through our relationships uh, in three directions. Our relationship with God can either be complete in Christ, or it can be broken through sin. Our relationship with one another can be healthy and whole or it can be broken and our relationship with creation can be healthy or it is broken and so our relationships work out themselves in three different ways but they do in a sense express either sin or holiness and you know I'm thinking we all I'm sure have experienced broken relationships and the pain of that and we have all experienced healthy whole relationships and the joy that that brings too. So we kind of have experienced this stuff. And this morning, what we're going to look at is how do we move forward together to really express the holiness, the completeness of our relationship with God and with one another. And so how do we move from sin? If you think about moving from sin to holiness, think about it as moving from brokenness into completeness, from divided, fragmented life into Uh, complete life and the word we might use for that is unity and that just made me think you know when we think about you know what is the big story what's the narrative that's going on all the time and what is God's work well we read in Ephesians don't we that God's work is to bring everything in heaven and on earth into unity under Christ that's the big story so that which was created perfect and was broken through uh, through sin actually is being built back together and one day we will perfectly be united all together under Christ with God and so that's that's the future um, but this whole concept of being the you know the now and the not yet of the kingdom 
we can in Christ experience a foretaste of what one day we will experience in all its fullness. And that is what church life should be like. So how do we get there is really what we're going to be um, looking at this morning. Because how we get there is really important to understand. So the means that we get there is the gospel. It's understanding what Christ has done for us. But the way in which we get there are the messengers that take that message around the world is the church. It's you and I. And it's the global church. And, you know, at the end of Nick's message last week, he mentioned that, you know, to move from sin to holiness, we need healing. We need restoration and we need reconciliation. And that is the very thing that God's given to us as our commission, if you like. God who reconciled us to himself has actually called us to be ministers of reconciliation. That's what we do. That's what we should be doing everywhere, bringing peace, bringing unity us with others, others together, and together with God and with the whole of creation. And so we can see that actually when we think about this, our relationship with God is never just meant to be worked out on our own. You, you cannot, you know, you can theoretically be a Christian, just you and God, but that isn't what we're called to. We're called to be together with God. The whole, there is only one body of Christ. And that therefore Christianity is a corporate faith, isn't it? It's what we live and live out together. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 18. If you've got it, I'll try and show some slides at this point and read through the. Uh, let's see. There, can you all see this? I'm seeing something different to you, so that I hope you can see it, but I'll read through this. So this is in Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 21 to 35. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And we don't know the tone of his voice here, so he could either be as a really exasperated tone, you know, how many times? Should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Or it could be just a, a theoretical question. Up to seven times, even seven times. If you've ever been in relationship with anyone, seven times is an incredibly low number to think that's enough. You know, uh, but then Jesus says, doesn't he? Sorry. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. Now, for the kind of really hyper detailed people amongst us, if we take Jesus' words here, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, what that doesn't mean is if someone offends your sins against you 78 times, you have the right to stop forgiving them. What all Jesus is saying here is it is endless. It is more than you can imagine. Just keep forgiving. Um, you know, it, it, there's no limit to this. And then he explains why through his parable. Because therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. But since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, 
and I will pay back everything. So the servant's master took pity on him and cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, yeah, there's so much in that particular passage, but I'm going to pick on particularly the interrelational aspects of it. And so the parable is just a story. It is limited. It's just there to communicate truth. And we shouldn't apply to it more than uh, is intended. So we, we don't need to look at how the way the master behaved in all of the little details. Oh, well, that must be like God. What Jesus is trying to do is use a story to communicate the point of mercy. And what he's saying is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like this. God shows mercy. It's totally undeserved. Um, you can't earn it. It is a gift that God gives to those who, who owe him more than they can ever understand. You know, we, we talked there about the 10,000 talents or whatever it was. You know, it's, it's far more than the man could ever have paid back. And yet the master wrote off the debt. And in that way, God writes off our debt. Now, to him and we've received his mercy and we need to understand that we've not earned it and however good we think we are or however we think um you know however good we think our actions have been or however, however deserving we are as people we must understand that mercy is a gift of god and it's a tremendous work that god does to give us mercy but what that means is that we have received mercy and, and then the question is, well, what do you do with it? Is that purely so that we can say thank you to God? Or are we the recipients of mercy so that then, if you like, we then possess mercy? And so what do we then do with it? So we who have received mercy then have that choice. Will we ourselves be merciful? We have no reason to be merciful to God because he never does anything wrong. So what do we do with this mercy? We can only be merciful towards other people. And that is where we, again, we have that choice. And what the story, that parable does explain is there is a consequence to that choice. And that's a little bit that I want to pick up a bit later on. You know, what are some of the consequences to our choices about whether we are merciful to those around us, particularly within the church, or whether we are not. And so what else can we gather from this passage? Well, I've got three things that I just thought about. The first is, let's just be humble. 
And in our relationships with others, when we're talking about being merciful, let's just consider first what God has done for us. You know, where humanity is very good at receiving huge amounts of mercy and then being very nitpicky with the people around us. You know, and they can do a tiny little thing that, that offends us and immediately we, we forget that we have received so much mercy and then we refuse to pass on that mercy. So let's be humble. Let's consider first what God has done for us in giving us mercy and that in Christ he's made something that was impossible possible. And that should lead us, shouldn't it, to humility. And let's consider, too, that the barrier, the, the, the difference or the gap between who we were and a perfect God is far greater than the gap between who we are and the people around us. And so that gap that God bridged in Christ to be able to give us mercy is wide. And yet God did that for us because he loved us. He brought us into relationship with him. Therefore, as we're trying to draw people into relationship with ourselves and with God, you know, we, we can do that on an equal basis. That we are and we can act humbly. And that, you know, particularly in the church where we understand we are all saved by grace. And, and none of us has earned it. And none of us have earned it more since we were saved than others. In that sense, we're all equal and we're all stumbling through life and, and trying to live as redeemed people, yet with the brokenness that we still live with. And so having grace and having mercy is simply to express what we ourselves have been have received from God. And so that helps us walk humbly with each other. The second thing I would say that we take this passage is, you know, let's actually be amazed at the grace and the mercy of God. And let's be amazed at the unity that is ours in Christ. You know, again, it's one of those things where we are one in Christ Jesus. That is the truth. And the work that accomplished that has already been done. It was done 2000 years ago on the cross. And so we are living in this kind of reality that we are fully united in Christ and so when we're living out these relationships that are broken I found it helpful to think that we're not looking at brokenness in terms of interrelationship between Christians we're not looking at something that's broken and how do we rebuild it we're looking at something that has already been rebuilt and we've got to dig through the remaining brokenness to get to the unity that already exists and so let's be amazed at what God has done to create this united body. And, then, and as we're trying to work through relationships, have that just, yeah, that, that sense, that confidence, actually, as we dig down, if we're willing to go through this, we're going to find a unity that's already ours in Christ. And that can be a real um, encouragement to really hope and trust uh, when things are difficult in terms of relationships. But be amazed. And again, be amazed that this unity that we have is bigger than anything that might try and separate us. You know, as the Bible says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Well, actually, in reality, in truth, nothing can separate us from one another. So many things do, but we're actually letting them um, because we have this unity in Christ. 
And it's not just about us and the local church. This is the global body of Christ, isn't it? So this unity that we have in Christ, it transcends denominations. It transcends language, cultures, ages, genders. It just is a wonderful, perfect unity in Christ. And when you think about that compared to the tiny little nitty gritty things that get between us sometimes, uh, you know, again, we just need to be humble, take a step back and just realise that there's only one body united under Christ. And that's a privilege that we have to be part of that, isn't it? And the third thing I thought about was actually the need to be obedient from that passage. You know, unity isn't just a gift. Unity is actually expected of us. And no matter how hard it is to strive towards unity, we have to work at it and not give up. And why is that? Because it is an expression of the kingdom. It's the kingdom in the here and now. The kingdom in the here and now is united. It's not divided. And so we as people of the kingdom have to work and strive towards unity. Now, I'm not saying that forgiveness is easy. And I'm actually not saying that when people offend us, it isn't grievous or it doesn't hurt us. And so it's not always easy to forgive. But what I am saying and what this passage is saying is that we have been equipped with the capacity to forgive. It's not our own capacity. It's a God-given capacity that has been given to us to exercise. We've received grace uh, in much greater measure than we will ever have to pass it on. So we have that capacity. And again, it's our choice whether we will strive to work towards unity. And then <coughs> I just want to share one other little illustration that may help us understand this, because I think sometimes it's good to have an illustration, isn't it? So what Lara was sharing this morning, that video was sharing this morning about uh, safeguarding. And one of the little things in there is that we, church should be a safe place. And, you know, as humans born as we are with our sinful nature and all that brokenness, one of the things that we do is that we build ourselves little safe places. In reality, they're not safe at all, but we think they are. We construct these defences around us. And we might envisage that as being a house. So that's me in the middle or some amorphous human being, uh, could be any one of us, but we build around us houses. And the thing is, when we become a Christian, oh, sorry, my computer is making clicking noises. So when we become a Christian, if you like, we take the roof off the house and we, we understand that we can enjoy a wonderful relationship with God. God makes that possible and we come to faith and we just enjoy the mercy and the grace that God pours into our lives. And actually in the West, that's, we're quite comfortable with that because we live out our faiths very individually. But that's not what we're called to do. And so if you can imagine, actually what we are is all people in lots of little houses. And all of us could take our roofs off and enjoy our life with God. But God has done much more than that, and he's put us together into his body. And so the Christian life isn't about just taking the roof off. The Christian life is also about taking the walls down. And that's what I really want to uh, encourage us today is to think about how do we take those walls down? 
you know, and the way God took the roof off, God took the initiative, Christ came and the spirit moved in our lives to help us enjoy relationship with him. And therefore we then equipped by the spirit can take the initiative to break the walls down. That takes grace and it takes courage. And it also takes the freedom that comes from uh, the other person allowing you to take the wall down. Because that wall exists between two people and you cannot take it down on your own. If you try and deconstruct a wall while the person the other side is busy building it, you will never take that wall down. And so the first step of unity is that two people actually agree they want to take the wall down. And that's really important to understand. And sometimes we have to accept as Christians, and again, Nick talked about that last week in this dealing with sin in the church. There is a side, there is a sequence to go through. Whilst this is the perfect picture I'm giving you here, we have to accept that sometimes walls do exist. And if the other person doesn't want to take them down, they will remain. But what we do, what we have to do is be responsible, saying no wall is going to stay up because I'm making it. No wall is going to stay up because I'm building it. That's my responsibility. And so as much as I'm able to exercise mercy and to have a heart that's ready, so that when the other person wants to take that wall down, I am open and I'm full of mercy and I'm full of grace and I will receive that and celebrate that wall coming down. I'm not going to turn around and say, oh, no, you kept that wall up. I want to keep that wall up too. So that's our responsibility. And as Paul says, we have this ministry of reconciliation, and that requires us to be merciful and to pass on the blessings that we have received. And again, why is this so important? Well, I think I'm going to finish here just with the psalm. It's a well-known psalm of Psalm 133. But, you know, we cannot cause revival. That's a spirit thing. That's a God thing. It's a miracle. And we can actually bring transformation. That is a God thing. That's a spirit. Uh, as a work of the spirit. But what we can as a group of people is create an environment in which that is more likely to happen. And that comes through living together in unity. And Psalm 133 says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, this oneness that we have in Christ. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard toward the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. And so there's this wonderful picture of unity. But let's just finish with this encouragement, because God says, for there the Lord bestows, or in another version, commands his blessing, even life forevermore. And so the promise of God that unity is not just a blessing in the sense that we enjoy unity. On that unity, God commands another blessing. And that other blessing is life forevermore. So unity is the catalyst to revival. And, you know, if we really genuinely want to reach Coventry or the UK or the ends of the earth with the gospel, which is a gospel of reconciliation, we need to be people who live in reconciliation, who live reconciled with one another. And God looks at that and he honours it and he blesses it. 
And so it's a wonderfully compelling thing. So rather than me living in my self-created false safety, I suddenly, by deconstructing all of that and living with God and with each one of you in perfect unity, I create a community of faith in, which is safe. It's a, it's a place to grow. It's a place to be encouraged. It's a place to where we spur one another on. And it's the environment which people are drawn into. It is an utterly compelling environment. People want to be there. Where else in the world are they going to be constantly built up and encouraged and, and grow in their relationship with God and their relationship with one another? Uh, and so just to finish off then, three questions for you. I suppose the first question, depends who's watching this, but it's an important question. Do you want to take the roof off? Do you want to be a receiver of the mercy and the grace of God? And if you do, then, yeah, please get in touch and talk about how to go deeper in your relationship with God or how to start it. But for those of us in the church who already know the Lord, then the questions that we have to answer through is, that, are there walls between you, yourself and someone else? And they're there because you've got them and you're, you're building them and you're keeping them up. And so what do you need to do to tear them down? And that may mean having a conversation or it might mean, you know, I don't know what it might mean, but you know, just being able and willing to take down walls between yourself and someone else, being a catalyst, taking that first step. But also, there are people I know who are in broken relationships and who've done all that they think, all that they can to express the mercy God's given. So the next question is, are there any walls that others have put up that you can't tear down? And you have to accept that because it's not your responsibility. But what is your responsibility is where is your heart? So is your heart open and full of mercy as you wait for that moment when they are ready to tear down the wall? And so it's a heart thing. And all of that is just to recognise what we have been given in Christ, mercy and grace and this wonderful unity that we have in him too. tuning in today we would love to connect with you on a sunday morning soon bless you and have a great week